Welcome to this episode of the Bet and Goods podcast. I'm speaking to Tiago Santos. Uh, hi, Tiago. Nice to have you on. Tiago is a career diplomat at the Brazilian Ministry of Foreign Relations. Uh, my first question, what is your book about? So, yes, the book is uh, a case for parliamentarism. Um, I realized that uh, there are very few works that uh, advocate for that kind of uh, form of government. And, uh, and I, I started researching about this uh, after I wrote an article. And, um, and I thought that the, the evidence, the theory, was overwhelmingly in favor of parliamentarism. So I thought that uh, it needed to be written. There are some good books about it, uh, but I don't think they have the same approach. I talk about uh, uh, the, 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 the perils of presidentialism, which is an article by Juan Lenz, and that's part of... Um, of a book too, The Failure of Presidential Democracy. Um, a different version of the article is there in this book, uh, Failure of Presidential Democracy, very good book. Parliamentarism by William Seliger is a very good book, but none of them take the exact same approach that I do. And then I thought, well, uh, we really need to, to, to get this going because uh, we see so many ideas over, uh, out there, uh, like, and I do this comparison in the book, like socialism, capitalism, they are defended all the time and um, their premises are not uh, discussed as much as I think it, they should. And, and parliamentarism, on the other hand, uh, has a level of skepticism around it that I think is undeserved. So that's why I titled it, Why Not Parliamentarism? To compare with two books, one by uh, Cohen, Why Not Socialism? And the other by Jason Brennan, uh, one of capitalism and Jason Brenner was kind, of, very kind to to write a blurb for for my book too. Uh, what's the what's the TLDR pitch of your of your book? Why should we um, prefer parliamentary democracies over presidential ones? Okay, so maybe the first thing I should do is uh, uh, just uh, give an idea of what parliamentarism, presidentialism is. Uh, parliamentarism is when you choose uh, the, the, the parliament, the, the congress, the, the, the assembly of the country, and then this assembly will choose and, and fire, uh, typically, uh, the, the prime minister or, or, or the government. If it's a cabinet government like they used to be in, in the UK, then they, they fire the whole cabinet and, and, and they respond to that. Whereas the presidential system, like the Brazil or the U.S., you have elections for the assembly, the Congress in Brazil and the U.S., and then you have uh, separate direct elections for the president, the idea of the separation of powers. Um, and then um, the separation of powers is, is very harmful for, for, for reasons that, and I take off from Juan Lin's uh, uh, a great thinker, a great political scientist, for reasons mainly that uh, are responsible for presidentialism to work that much worse. One is the, the dual legitimacy. So you have two uh, separate powers that are both elected by the people and they claim, can claim to be the legitimate representative of the people. And when they do clash, there's no easy way for you to pick who's, uh, uh, with the, with, who's right. Who, who's got the much power, who's legitimate. The other thing is uh, personalism. So uh, personalized power is a very dangerous thing. You, you, you get, um, you say power corrupts, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So the more power you give to one specific person, 
the the more dangerous that will be um and you see that in in presidential countries that uh, the presidents use the offices for their own interests you have the rigidity problem uh, you have um in presidential countries you may have a leader that's doing very badly and then there's nothing we can do we have to wait for his mandate to be over for years typically uh or you have, you have may have a president that's doing well a leader that's doing very well and typically you cannot reelect him more than once uh there are very few presidential countries that do not have a limit for reelections because the presidential office um gathers so much power over the years that if you do have indefinite reelections then uh, presidents will get reelected over and over and then you will lose your democracy and um so you have, I've said, uh, dualism, rigidity, personalism, and rigidity. So I think that we've covered that's that those are the main reasons. Um, is there an example of a country that, that switched from, from a presidential democracy to a parliamentary one, which uh, makes your, in your case strongly? So that's, that's uh, an interesting question. So th- I don't think there is. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's considered... And that's the main objection that I get is exactly that. It's, they say, well, that's, that's just impossible. No presidential democracy ever uh, becomes a parliamentary democracy. The thing about this is that um, if you're a democracy in a presidential system, you should already suppose that things are doing relatively well with your country. You're able to sustain a democracy, right? Uh, so if you're able to sustain a democracy, then... Um, you wouldn't have a crisis enough to switch forms of government. The second thing I think is responsible for us not having examples of presidential democracies switching to parliamentary democracies is that we've forgotten to make the case for parliamentarism. And this is what I am uh, trying to, to, to nudge uh, people to, to do once again. Uh, in this book by Salinger that I've already quoted, he, he starts the book with... It's just, a very uh, uh, graphic I, Im- image is that uh, he compares the, the how much we've forgotten uh, to promote parliamentarism as we, we forgot how to do science altogether. And then we use the words about what is to be liberal and, and, and we forgot that liberal, when the word came about in the 19th century, it meant having an assembly and that uh, the government should be responsive to this assembly. And, uh, and now we've, we've forgotten this key element. So I think that uh, if we were to renew our efforts to promote parliamentarism, it's perfectly possible that a presidential democracy could switch to parliamentarism. Are there any examples of the other way around, parliamentary democracies which became presidential? So not consolidated democracies, but mainly because... Presidential consolidated democracies are a very rare breed. And that's one of the key problems about presidentialism is that uh, presidential democracies just don't last that long. It just uh, the, 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 the U.S. is the obvious counterexample to that. But uh, other than the U.S., there are very few uh, presidential democracies that have lasted. Chile had a presidential democracy uh, for a long time, and then they, they had a coup, and then uh, it's it's very rare. Um, 
having said that uh, some some so so full democracies I'm not sure but many countries that had a presidential constitution did switch to to parliamentarism uh, in Africa uh, after colonization many countries at first had a parliamentary uh, constitution and then they switched to presidentialism uh, Robinson and Torve called this this endogenous presidentialism so the idea is that exactly because presidentialism allows for the leaders to yeah, the much more power for them, for much more personalized power. They use that momentum of of uh, uh, of uh, changes in constitutions, of decolonizations, of revolution, to secure their power by changing the constitution from parliamentary to presidential. But um, yes, I don't think that you can think of a, a very consolidated parliamentary democracy that switched to to presidentialism either. Okay. That, yeah. No. Go on. No, some 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 countries are becoming more presidentialized over the years, right? So, uh, um, France uh, in Charles de Gaulle, the, 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 he he gave more powers to the presidential office, but uh, still still the case that the government in France is perfectly responsive. It, it must be responsive to uh, uh, to the French uh, assembly. So in the book, I when I, I had to do the dichotomy for for just for illustrative reasons, I think there is a spectrum between presidentialism and parliamentarism. So I classify French France as parliamentary because of this characteristic that the government uh, is responsive to 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 the assembly. It's a semi-presidential country, premier I, yeah. presidential. That's. Only, only halfway, right? It's the same in Russia, where in theory the, the prime minister is responsible to parliament, but you just have you just have a combination of unfair elections that, that makes it only the president who's responsible to no one. How do you how do you put these countries, Sri Lanka, Russia, France, and a, a few others in Africa? I'm missing. Um, so uh, Sri Lanka, I, I didn't classify them myself, and I. I I didn't want to classify them as all of them myself because of uh, just so that people would not think that I was being uh, uh, being picky and just trying to choose. So I can look up Sri Lanka in the book and see how it was it was classified as presidential. What I did was I used the database of political institutions, which is uh, maintained was created by the World Bank and now it's maintained, I think, by the IDB, the Inter-American Inter Development Bank, and they they classified uh, Sri Lanka as presidential uh, based on its constitution and, and its practice. And uh, Russia is also presidential, uh, as far as I remember. And yes, it is. Okay. So, yeah. No. Yeah, one of the questions I, I had about um, personally, like, you know, a lot of politics in parliamentary democracies is very much personalized, right? Is like you see Boris Johnson and Narendra Modi and, um, you know, in Canada, it was basically Justin Trudeau versus his, his, his opponent whose name I've forgotten. It does not seem to me as if 
parliaments in these countries are effective checks and balances. I mean, the UK is a counter example, but in India and Canada and, you know, many other parliamentary democracies, it's very rare for parliaments to not be, you know, uh, personal fiefdoms of the uh, of the executive, and especially in countries where you don't have a strong tradition of democracy, you know, legislators are usually bought and sold. They're um, they're basically sometimes held at held, held at gunpoint to vote for the government. <coughs> it doesn't seem to me as if they act as an effective check on the on the executive. So that's what many people thought. Uh, uh, and then, uh, we, so most of the research on parliamentarism and presidentialism usually uh, only restricted their observations to full democracies because they thought, well, if your country is not a, a democracy, then you have all these problems that, uh, that the, the, the assembly, you, you have the constitution saying that the assembly has that many powers, but then what you see in practice and you, you thought that you saw in practice is just the leader of the country doing whatever he wanted, right? That's that's the objections that you have. But then you look, uh, researchers, research by uh, uh, scientists like Tyson Roberts or Abdullah Aydogan, and they show that the constitutions do have uh, uh, teeth, even in countries that you think that the, the, the assembly is just a, a rubber stamp or something like that. So you see that uh, if, you, if a country has a presidential or a parliamentary institution, constitution, even in, in situations of autocracy, which is not the case of, of, of many of the countries that you've cited, but I'm, I'm going to an extreme here, even anocracies, that's uh, not autocracy, anocracies is, the, is a somewhere in between uh, a democracy and, and autocracy. They show that these constitutions do have a, a, a lot of bite. And uh, I encourage you to think of this as, as it seems that the, the prime minister might have all of the power because many of these negotiations happen outside of the, the public light, right? But if they were to really uh, confront Congress, Parliament, the way that presidents do, and presidents really do confront the parliament and they name the minister that they want without asking uh, the, the, the Congress or the parliament, whatever, they just name whoever they want. And in those situations, when they do that, you get many more conflicts, a lot more instability in the countries. And then what I invite you to do is look at the evidence and say, okay, so uh, uh, is it the case that... Um, Boris Johnson or Justin Trudeau or, the, or Modi or whatever, are they naming people that are completely objectionable to parliament? They're not. They're, if you look at the names that they, they choose for their, for their ministers, if you look at the, 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 those things that they say, they are much more conformative. I do agree that there is a presidentialization of, of parliamentary countries. Uh, there's this book by Pogutki and Webb, that uh, talks about this. So the office of the prime minister has gained a kind of prominence that he didn't used to have. Uh, back in the 19th century, uh, the UK had a cabinet government. So you thought of the whole cabinet as the government, not the prime minister as the uh, leader of the government. But, um, and I think that this has detrimental effects for, for, for parliamentary countries, this presidentialization, this concentration of the focus uh, of the government 
in uh, in the in the prime minister. I still think I still think that it's it's problematic, but it's nothing compared to the kind of person, the, the kind of outsider, the kind of antagonistic figure that gets elected in presidential countries. Uh, first of all, for the prime minister to be appointed, he must be uh, or she uh, uh, must be uh, uh, appointed by the the, the, the parliament at, uh, beforehand. So they will choose someone that is not as uh, objectionable as as presidents will, will happen to be because you only depend on on the vote of the people and then you may choose someone that's completely objectionable by the parliament and then you don't get that many confidence votes exactly because the prime ministers know that there is some limits to their power and then they they stay within uh, their lane. So uh, I disagree that uh, the kind of power that the prime minister has is comparable to, the, to, to, to that, that even in those countries where it seems that parliament is not doing anything, I think that they are doing plenty. Do you have any ideas on what makes parliament stronger in some countries versus others? Because that seems like a fairly important uh, part of not only your thesis, but also in the, but also generally for promoting better government, right? What is it that makes the parliament of the UK more willing to push back against Boris Johnson than the Malaysian lower house will ever be? Will ever be? I don't know. Uh, in this only, case... Only slightly uh, I, I, exaggerating here. So, but that, that, that's... But I, I, I think you're, you're, you're slightly exaggerating, but I think that you're exaggerating by a lot because... Um, the thing is, and this is where I, I agree with many people that I usually uh, try to offer the, the power of constitutions. I, I think that the power of constitutions is very forgotten. People tend to think that constitutions don't really matter. So I usually try to stress the power of constitutions. In this case, the difference between the UK and Malaysia, I'll have to invoke the, the parliamentary tradition that uh, the, the UK has. Uh, they have had this system for centuries now, and they have uh, many uh, uh, many centuries to, to get used to, to it and, and, and know that this is the, the game that they play and this is how things work there. Whereas Malaysia, it's a very uh, uh, new constitution, and uh, I think that they're still working up their traditions. And I think that uh, because they, they, they have a... Uh, a functioning uh, constitution, I think that they will get uh, pretty rapidly. And I think much more rapidly than the UK. We must remember that uh, you had the civil war in the UK in the 16, uh, in the mid 17th century, and then you had the glorious revolution some decades after that. So it's not that it was always easy for parliament to assert its own power uh, in the UK. It's just that it happened so long ago that we tend to forget Whereas in, in Malaysia, it's happening right now. Huh, that is that is that is fair. What could what constitutional changes could governments have? Could uh, you know parliamentary governments have to improve the power of parliament and you know reduce the this creeping presidentialism? What what uh, changes parliamentary governments could have? So this is something that I thought much less about than what presidential countries could do. 
But uh, some things that I think are, are pretty important are um, parliamentarize the parties themselves, right? So I think, I think many parliamentary countries now have uh, a leader election that is, is, is trying to be more uh, uh, like a presidential election instead of a choice by the, 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 the heads of the, like the, the, like the, the very own uh, cabinet of the, of the party. So you can have a party and, and it will also have a presidential or a parliamentary structure. The, the structure repeats itself in all sorts of human organizations. So I think parties should parliamentarize themselves. That's one first uh, change. The second is parliamentarize local government. So for example, the UK introduced uh, direct elections for mayors. Uh, I think that helped uh, uh, personalize uh, politics in, in the UK too. Um, and then it, it affects uh, the national government. And the second thing is, is I think that um, you should um, maybe try to bring back the type of cabinet government that they used to have, like uh, Switzerland has. Switzerland has a collective government. It has no uh, um, leader the way that we tend to think of, of a country leader. So you have the cabinet and they vote amongst themselves. And it's perfectly possible that countries could have uh, a collective government or some, some nine people that are responsible for government and, they, and the decisions that they make in, in majority voting are the ones that, uh, that are valid. So I think that uh, those are three things that parliamentary countries could do to, to remove that. And the other thing is try to, to change the culture too and, and, and try to think of parliamentarism itself as a good, uh, uh, I try to always compare to democracy. Democracy has uh, a very well-deserved uh, uh, place in, in everyone's uh, minds on, on how important it is to preserve it. And I think that uh, countries, even parliamentary countries, have forgotten on the importance of thinking of parliamentarism and thinking of, of parliament as the true uh, 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 source of power in the country. And and, and defending it from, from all sorts of attacks and, and trying not to see also government as, as the person is. And I think that uh, uh, mass media and, and pictures and that sort of thing has uh, uh, also been detrimental. TV and Pogumti and, and Web talk about this a little bit too. Uh, and, but uh, I think that um, we should not think of the government as the person. That we, I think that... Uh, some cultural change also should should happen. When you talk about making parliament the you know main the the major source of the, the actual source of power and legitimacy for the government, to, you know you mentioned your problem with presidential systems is that you had dual legitimacy, right? So you had a, a president who is directly elected and a, a congress or a parliament who is directly elected, and the and the problem is that you know sometimes these people have uh, opposing ide uh, ideals, but and and I and I can see this when parliamentary systems happen. I can see this happening quite often, right? So you had France in the nineteen twenties where governments bear, you know basically lasted two, like maybe around nine months or ten months was the was the median amount. It was it was the same with India in the nineties. There there was no stable coalition and, and just led to too much instability in government. Malaysia, like right before the the current prime minister, they had I I can't remember maybe four or five 
prime ministers in you know a, a, a matter of a few years um what do you people make this objection quite often that parliamentary democracies are quite unstable and um how should countries balance the trade-off between a potentially unstable parliamentary democracy versus a potentially rigid presidential one and you know uh, why is the parliamentary one correct because i expect that one is to be your answer So I think that uh, what parliamentarism does is it brings the, the, the messiness of politics. Politics is messy. There are different interests. There are different ideas. And uh, parliamentarism, parliamentarism allows for, those, uh, for that messiness to be opening the light and to be resolved in a pacific manner. Whereas the rigidity of presidentialism uh, buries down these conflicts and makes them come to get, come about in a violent manner. So you think of, of uh, India, for example. India, uh, uh, even though it, it started out as, as, as a very poor country and it's growing fast now, uh, has had uh, a, a democracy for longer than many presidential countries can only dream of. And so I think that uh, people always say, well, Belgium didn't have a government for so many years. And my response is always, well, but Belgium did very nicely <laughs> during that time, right? So you, you got to look at the outcomes, right? Uh, the stability of government is not an end in itself. What you, you want stability in government for something. What do you want? You want uh, uh, the GDP to grow. You want pe people to be healthy. You want crime to be fight. So, so that's one of the things that you care about, not stability by itself. And presidentialism, it creates a false sense of stability just by saying, okay, so no change. So it, the idea is more or less what the, like the, the, the bamboo and the, the, the wood, you know, the, the, the metaphor that they say that the, you have a very strong piece of wood and then you, you let the, the wind blows and if it doesn't even bend and then the bamboo is always swinging. But then if the wind is strong enough, then the, the, the wood breaks and then the bamboo always comes back to the, to the place that it was. So the, the, the flexibility of parliamentarism is uh, um, the main advantage. And why do I believe that parliamentarism is better? Then uh, I would uh, refer to the evidence in the book. Uh, we have now evidence that, uh, that democracies just last much longer. And not only that, even in, in non-democratic states are more stable uh, uh, and there are no uh, coups or that sort of thing, there are no violent overthrows in, in, in parliamentary constitutions. You have more growth, you have uh, um, all sorts of more equality even. So you have all sorts of outcomes that you would like to have as a society. You have more of them in parliamentary systems. What you don't have is a government that lasts uh, definitely longer. But sometimes you do have, and that's the other thing that you have in parliamentarism. Sometimes the, critis, the criticism is the exact opposite. So Angela Merkel stayed for so many years in, in Germany as leader of Germany. They, well, well, how can she be there for so long? And then she left. She just left. There was no a commotion. There was no problem. There was, this, it was just, well, now I'm going to go. Uh, so you have both of these th things you have. In a situation where the balance of power is uh, uh, very unstable, then parliamentarism will reflect that. When it's very stable, then it will reflect that also. 
Whereas in presidentialism, what you have is what the constitution mandated uh, decades ago, and then you have to respect and, and the reality of the country will not reflect that. Do you think ease of amending constitution is a relevant variable in predicting, you know, these sort of uh, political economy outcomes? Should countries um, have more or less flexible constitutions? So uh, I'm going to answer this, but uh, this is not something that I have studied. Uh, the, the, the flexibility of constitutions That's is not okay, something that I know. consider myself uh, an expert. The best answers always come what from... I, the best answers always come <laughs> what I, from what these I, What I do think is, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, um, and this is something that I, I'm trying to study more. I, I'm not a fan of supermajorities because, and this is, uh, uh, supermajorities, they imposed the will of a different uh, Congress, a different parliament over the will of, of the current parliament. And I don't see uh, uh, a good justification for that, for, for why would that be? So the UK uh, famously for many years did not have any kind of supermajority requirement and no written constitution exactly because of that, even though they, they, they have had one of the most stable constitutions. Whereas many Latin American countries have uh, 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 rules for amending constitutions that are very strict. And, and for example, Brazil, we, 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 we had a constitution in 1988 and now we are over a hundred amendments already. Um, so in, the, in my case, I think that uh, uh, amending constitutions should be relatively easy, but uh, this is not something that I explore a lot in the book. And then I'm, I'm much more open to, to changing my mind. I, I, of course, I'm open to changing my mind, but I'm, I'm going to be more surprised about changing my mind about parliamentarism than I'm going to be about changing my mind about this that I just answered. There's this joke about the Indian constitution, which goes like a, a guy enters a political bookshop and he says, you know, can I buy a copy of the constitution? And the shopkeeper says, you know, sorry, sir, we uh, don't sell periodicals here. So <laughs> it's this, uh, one of these <laughs> very weird things, if you keep amending your, your constitution too much, too fast, you end up with this hodgepodge of law. You know, that's small aside aside. A question I had reading your book was that in many of the cases, in many of the examples you listed and many of the studies you saw, um, I always felt that, you know, while it may be true that parliamentarism had a, the p-value was definitely a significant, the, 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 the effect size was small. And what matters more is just your general level of, um, you know, democratic standards, right? You should, you should um, in, like, my claim would be that the, uh, the effect of uh, democratic standards outweighs the effect of whatever political system you have. Like you could have, you know, Swiss-style um, uh, cabinet government, British-style parliamentary democracy, American-style presidentialism, French-style presidentialism, or even, you know, um, how, do I, how do I put it, South Korean-style direct election uh, to pres to uh, president and. But what would make the clear difference here would not be the style of government, but the level of commitment your country's political elites had towards democracy. Would that be correct or am I missing something there? I think you are missing something because um, first, I, uh, I think that uh, some, some studies have some very powerful uh, uh, effect sizes. Uh, I will cite only McManus and Oscar. Uh, they find uh, uh, more growth 
from 0.6 to 1.2 percentage points per year in parliamentary countries. That's that's huge. That that in itself could explain the, the industrial revolution. I think I don't know. So if you look at the GDP per capita growth uh, in the UK from from the, the, the per capita GDP growth, it's not very far from from that. Uh, from from 1700 to today, so that that that's huge, uh, and they find a 25 percent less inequality. That's uh, I'm I'm citing from the top of my head, but uh, so those are not not neglectable at all. And for for democracy, for for how much it lasts, I think it's 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 pretty big too. I don't think that the effect sizes are small at all. Um, so, and the second thing, um, the, why the idea that uh, constitutions would not matter, uh, considering, because for example, McManus and Oscar, they, 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 just, they don't just run a regression and they just, uh, they, they do a random effects. They, they do all sorts of sophisticated tech statistical analysis. And then you would have to explain a lot of coincidences so the correlation between parliamentarism and these good outcomes, these, these elites that are more committed, then why, why would these elites be so more prevalent in parliamentary countries than in presidential ones? That's because, and I, I talk about this in the book, you have a, if you have a, a correlation, a true correlation, right? Uh, not, a, not a spurious one, not, not a coincidence. You either have to say that A causes B, B causes A, or something else is causing both of them, right? So what it, what is it? Is 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 good outcomes causing parliamentarism? It's not, right? So you, you can clearly discard that because uh, uh, the, 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 a country growing doesn't make it parliamentary, and most of the countries that started becoming parliamentary uh, did it before uh, they had the the, the 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 kind of welfare that they have. Uh, Latin America is much richer than Europe was in the 19th century, and we are not moving to parliamentary. So this we should discard. So maybe there's a third thing that is causing both parliamentarism and, uh, uh, and good outcomes. So what, what would that be? Like, why, why would they be so associated? And I think that given the, 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 the theory, and I, I've talked about the informal theory by Juan Linz, but uh, you will have read the the formal theory that I that I use this one uh, model that I found by Person and Tabellini and showed that it has some very uh, uh, unrealistic assumptions and for each of the assumptions that are violated then we find a, a, another a reason for us to prefer parliamentarism so what I use in the book as an example is the the Fisher case for the for smoking right so Fisher saw these crazy correlations uh, between smoking and cancer. Ronald Fisher, father of statistics. Um, and um, he saw these crazy uh, uh, correlations between smoking and, and cancer. And then he thought, well, correlation is not causation. Why not? Uh, we could also, we could always think that there is um, a tendency for a person that will develop cancer to want to smoke and smoking is actually treating is, is a form of intuitive self-treatment for the cancer. But he never investigated that condition that he, that he was proposing. He was just trying to dismiss the idea that smoking 
could cause could cancer and that we could, had good reasons to believe that smoking would co cause cancer. And I think that uh, given this, this very, very strict association and you, and you even see countries that, uh, for example, in Europe, uh, uh, Germany, after Weimar, they, and I have a, a blog post uh, about this on the book, but after Weimar, they adopted a semi-presidential constitution and this semi-presidential constitution allowed for many emergency powers for the president. And these emergency powers were used all the time. And these emergency powers, which uh, downplayed parliament was responsible for many of the crises that we saw in Germany. So even there, and, and, and for the rise of Nazism and everything. So even there, you see that, uh, why would the German elites be uh, so uncompromised with the welfare of the country, with the future of the country, when they had this constitution that allowed for emergency powers for the president. But then when they adopted a fully parliamentary constitution, then they become uh, uh, completely aligned with the interest of the country. I think, I think one should, uh, and then you have the, the auxiliary evidence that I talk about in the book too. You have the council manager cities in the US. Uh, you have cities in the US that have a presidential model because the mayor is directly elected and uh, the council is elected separately. And you have uh, cities that adopt a more parliamentary model because they, the, the people elect only a council and the council picks a, a, a manager and they can fire the manager at any time. And then you have a lot of uh, uh, much better results for council manager cities, including, for example, corruption that this is uh, uh, I think one of the best studies and it finds very large effects too. You, I, I don't know from the top of my head, but very large effects from FBI cases of, of prosecuting corruptions. And unless we were gonna think that uh, the FBI, for example, for, for, for some reason that we don't know is trying to pursue more um, mayors than managers, then we would think that there must be some kind of effect and lastly, the auxiliary evidence that I use, uh, uh, which is something that even Matthew Iglesias uh, recalled in Twitter the other day, is that uh, no company uses a presidential model to make their decisions. And they could, they, they absolutely could. They could have the shareholders elect the CEO separately, and they would elect the board of directors with a separation of powers model, and that would be more efficient, but none of them do. They always, they refrain from choosing the CEO. They elect only the board, and then the board elects the CEO and fires the CEO at any time. So considering the evidence of uh, uh, the informal theory, the evidence from history, we see that the first countries that became more parliamentarized were some of the countries that had the best outcomes. So you have both uh, in, 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 the, in the 18th century, you, you had two countries that uh, were more parliamentary in Europe and they were uh, the UK and the Netherlands. And so, so you have a, a coincidence. So you have the little divergence is, is can be explained by parliamentarism. You have the, the, the great divergence that is helped being explained by, by parliamentarism. So there are so many things that are associated with it that I find the idea and, and also because of the vagueness. Well, it's, it's kind of circular, right? The elites are more committed to the future of the country. How do we know that? Well, because the country is doing well, because there are no specific tests 
for elites committed to the future of the country other than, well, that country is doing pretty well right now. Whereas parliamentary is not circular. You, you, you can check a constitution and you can see. All right, that's, that's fair. What, on a more meta level, um, you know, what can we do to promote constitutional change? It's super hard in almost any country, right? The Scots have been trying to get out of the UK for like 50 years now, and they, and they managed one referendum. How, in most uh, presidential democracies, more seriously, how does one promote constitutional change? So, um People have an idea that constitutional change is harder than it is, mostly because of the U.S., I think. In the U.S., it's very hard to amend the Constitution. Uh, you not only need uh, super majorities, but you need a, a particularly high majority from the, from the states, too. Uh, and um, even with that very hard uh, 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 frame, they still were able to amend some... some I don't know, I think below 20 times, I don't know uh, uh, the exact number. But uh, in the case of Brazil, for example, I've just said that uh, uh, in, in, in three decades, we have amended it uh, more than a hundred times. And it's not even that rare for, for countries to, to amend their constitution. I think that there is um, this idea that it should be hard, it's, it's really hard which I find ironic because it's the exact opposite. People think that amending the constitution to become parliamentary would be very hard, but the effects would be very small. Whereas I think the exact contrary, I think that it will not be nearly as hard as people think, but the effects would be huge. So what I try to, to, to suggest for it not being too hard is to think of what are the efforts that we are putting into this. So if we saw a lot of efforts going into making countries parliamentary and they, would, and they didn't switch, then I could admit, well, yeah, I was wrong. It's much harder than I believed. But I don't see any efforts. I, 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 I actually, I do this. I, I type in very often parliamentarism on the Twitter search uh, uh, box. And I, I know exactly how many times the word parliamentarism was used on all of Twitter. And it's very rare. Uh, I don't know of any initiative. So for example, ranked choice voting is, is something that uh, you probably hear and you see people making a lot of campaigns on this and um, proportional representation. So there are lots of, uh, and not, not even to mention uh, um, the most contentious issues, climate change, abortion, gun control, that sort of thing, that, that those have huge, huge, huge resources in favor of it. And still, people still think that it's worth uh, uh, doing it. Whereas parliamentarism, I wrote this book out of, out of uh, and, and you saw the, 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 the preface maybe when I, I compare myself to this guy that finds out that a club is on fire and that he's only the one, he's the, the person that saw it and he has to shout for everyone to, to get out of the, of the club so that, that they don't get burned. And, and I think it's very much like this. I don't, I don't see uh, many people, even political scientists that are very aware of uh, the superiority of parliamentarism don't do that much campaigning. They just, they just, I just assume that it's something that is a fact of life. Whereas if you compare to scientists on climate change, they are always uh, uh, sounding the alarm. 
So I would be convinced that it was very hard if uh, constitutional amendments were not something that happened all the time, and they do happen all the time in countries. And also if, um, if there was a large campaign to do it and the results were disappointing. Uh, but I don't see none of those things. All right. Uh, my last, even more meta question for you is, you know, uh, what would, was the process of writing the book like? You know, be as long as as short as you as you want. But I wanted to know because this was a this is a passion project, right? Almost nobody takes the idea that. Um, you know, the type of system you have matters a lot, uh, seriously. And it's, I, I, I do not think it was very socially popular to write this book. If I, if I told someone, what are you doing on your, on your, on your weekend? Sorry, I can't come to the party. I, I, I got a book manuscript to write. And, oh, what's your book about? Oh, my book is about why parliament. I'm like, oh, oh, whatever. Um, what was this process like? How do you manage your, your time? How did you work through all of it? So, um, no, you're right. It's, it's, it, I, you, you got it exactly right. So what happened is that um, once I started researching it, I thought that this was so neglected that it was, it was stronger than me. It was, it was, it was hard. Uh, I, I, I studied a lot and, and, and uh, it was uh, for my wife, for my family, it was something that uh, I, I even say that in, in, in my, my acknowledgments for my wife, it was not easy. So it was something that, yes, it's, it became a sort of, of an obsession. I was uh, in Paris. <laughs> I was trying to convince people that uh, parliamentarism was, was the best system all the time. So um, you were, you were know, that just, weird guy. I was that we, I'm still <laughs> that, that weird guy, right? Like, me too, but, me uh, too. But <laughs> the, yeah, the funny thing though is, 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 that uh, and I also have a blog post on this. It's funny because parliamentarism is the idea that I've been able to convince more people of. Like I've 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 had so many ideas. Like I don't know if I I I I, I like free trade. If I try to trade, there is no chance I'm going to convince the person. There's absolutely no chance. I will try to present all the best arguments that I have, and I will never convince them. Or or housing. I don't know. I, I'm I'm in favor of of. Uh, uh, of zoning, uh, like I'm, I'm in favor of, of, of building up, I'm in favor of rest, uh, doing away with zoning, that sort of thing. If I try to convince someone that uh, we should not have mandatory parking in new buildings, there's no chance that I'm going to convince that person. But for some reason, <laughs> uh, people do get interested in parliamentarism, and I do talk to them. It's, 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 it's weird. Uh, and um, I, I even like I always try to do to to do the caveat and say, well, if we start talking about this, I won't stop. So we don't have to talk about this. And people do ask, and they 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 want to talk about it. So it's funny because I don't think it has cost me that many friends. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no. Um <laughs> what have you learned about literature about literature reviews from this project? um what do you mean of the of the of the process of 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 doing them right because you went through a, a very broad range of evidence is there anything you learn different about you know how you should search for studies or or or, or how you should you know um 
find evidence and and and, and interpret it? How are your meta skills of uh, reasoning and lit and, and generally finding uh, literature in the in the somewhat disorganized manner academic journals are? How did that change? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I I I think I don't know that I've changed that much. What I did, I just I dug deeper. I think, but uh, like I I used Google Scholar all the time. I tried to follow accounts on Twitter that talk about those things. I wrote to the people, and this this is something this this is something that I didn't use to do, but I started doing is that um, once I had. Uh, um, a beginning of a text, I started writing people. And I thought that, that when you have something that is interesting for people, for even like the, the, the most famous people think that you, people that you think that are way too busy to answer some, some random guy, uh, uh, they, they, they are, they, are they, they, they read your things. They, 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 it's even easier for them to read, uh, your work than your friends. You think that it would be the opposite, but no. Like the, 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 these people helped me a lot, and they pointed to a lot of of uh, uh, texts that I weren't aware, I wasn't aware of. So, but yes, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I never thought about what I learned, and um, and I think that I I would have liked to do it more methodically. I don't know. I I would I would like to see much more research on this sort of meta analysis uh, with. People that do meta meta analysis uh, on on uh, using the, the proper methods, I would like to see that. So I don't know. I would like to to learn more than I have actually. <laughs> well, um, that's the end of this. Thank you so much for coming. I really en enjoyed this because I also have like these personal things I really believe strongly in. Like you know, I'd be I'd be like I'd be the Parliamentarism is one of them. Uh, rank choice, I mean, at least uh, instant runoff voting would be another. In general, political experimentation is, is underrated. And like even for like the most popular um, political system in history, which is parliamentarism, and people are like, oh, you know, we shouldn't try it. We, we shouldn't try it out. It's so it's so disappointing. But like on that note, uh, thanks for coming. I I really uh, enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. This was a lot of fun.